0: Hi, and welcome to the Part 3 With Me podcast. The show that helps Part 3 students jumpstart into their careers as qualified architects and also to provide refresher episodes for practicing architects. I am your host, Maria Scudari. And this week is Part 2 on the ethics subject uh, and today's episode meets PC1 and PC2 of the Part 3 criteria. So last week I covered the professions and general industries ethical duties towards the climate and wider world, society and clients. And this week I will cover the ethical duties towards the workplace, the profession and oneself. So jumping straight into the professions and wider industries duties towards the workplace... So workplace duties can often be forgotten or neglected due to people's commitment to their clients or external uh, stakeholders. But by actually putting more emphasis on the duties towards the workplace can lead to resilience of an organization. It can also improve the organization's performance, improve staff well-being and also attracting and retaining high quality staff. So some typical ethical duties that arise from duties towards the workplace include the architect's duty to those commissioning the services, uh, the client, and it can lead to poor duties to the workplace by placing unrealistic deadlines, overtime working, which impacts uh, staff well-being, also poor recruitment uh, practices uh, that don't attract a more diverse background Lack of staff training, development, diversity and inclusion and also lack of transparency, uh, staff leadership and perceptions of unfairness with salaries and promotions can also arise um, some issues with the ethical duties towards the workplace. So these are the duties owed by architect employers to architect employees and also by all architects in their workplace towards all those they encounter. This is where employment law comes in, which is relevant across uh, all types of businesses. So to avoid issues and court cases, it's best to resolve workplace issues through informal means or through the organization's grievance procedure, although formal dispute resolutions may be sought in the more extreme cases and taken to the employment tribunal. Now, in terms of the architect's workplace duties more specifically, the RIBA and ARB codes of conduct set specific standards relating to the architect's duty in the workplace. The RIBA specifically builds more on their codes with regards to legal obligations towards those in the workplace, including standards on equality, diversity and inclusion, modern slavery and employment and responsibilities as an employer. So in order to have an ethical practice, it must consider its structure and setup, as well as its culture, which are key to setting the foundations, boundaries and ethos of the workplace. One such setup is employee ownership, which can take several different forms. But the direct model involves employees becoming registered individual shareholders of the majority of shares in their company. And this then creates a level of participation and transparency, which is not guaranteed in more traditional company structures. So many have advocated for employee ownership setups, which have been quite successful in recent years, with architecture practice, and as such, uh, practices suggest that they are not only more ethical practices, but also more productive. So many practices' ethical duties were challenged during the COVID-19 pandemic by not providing a flexible working approach and requiring staff to attend the office at set times and days. So such practices were directly challenged by the pandemic and their culture questioned by staff and the general public, who now expect a more flexible, forward-thinking, ethical workplace culture and ethos, which considers their staff's personal lives and caring responsibilities. This leads to the practice's management standards covering the work environment, equity, diversity and inclusion and training and development opportunities. So looking at the work environment in the first instance, it consists of both physical workspaces and uh, other items which construct the employee's working life such as their working hours, their annual leave, sick pay and so on. So the most key ethical issues, which tend to be less visible in the work environment and are often neglected are long working hours, unpaid overtime, unfair salaries and salary scales, poor investment in training and skills, poorly communicated and limited work opportunities and career prospects. So these are the key aspects which keep being more regularly challenged in the workplace and are covered by the RIBA code of conduct and code of practice to reduce and abolish such practices wherever possible. But practices can and should do more in addressing uh, such matters. Now, looking at equity, diversity and inclusion, it should be embedded across all ethical duties of an architect. So architects, particularly uh, RIBA members, should seek to support the action plan launched by the RIBA ...and five other built environment institutions in July 2022... ...with the aim of creating a built environment sector... ...that is as diverse as the communities it represents. So architects, like other professionals, have a duty to promote... ...equity, diversity and inclusion in the workplace... ...through uh, recruitment. Is this being carried out fairly and unbiased? Through progression? uh, How does the workplace allow, encourage and support people to progress... Um, is necessary training provided, and also through retention, meaning how does the workplace encourage and reward longevity, work-life balance, and so on. So all these aspects need to be considered as part of the practice's ethical duty in the workplace, and employers have an ethical duty to improve equity, diversity, and inclusion through recruitment, progression, and retention as mentioned, Now, looking at training and development opportunities, which form part of the equity, diversity and inclusion aspect, uh, these connect to the other five ethical duties of an architect, because without proper training and development, staff can't honour and deliver on their duties to the wider world, society or those commissioning services, since their lack of knowledge and expertise will not serve others, ...and cannot uphold the reputation of the profession and the duty to oneself. Therefore, training and development opportunities can be in the form of mentoring schemes... uh, ...or leadership training, technical learning uh, and accreditation or certification or through support programs. So the ethical duty owed to the workplace should also extend beyond the office... ...and also include duties to co-professionals encountered on projects... Those working on construction sites, employees working from home and those working within supply chains, uh, just to name a few. So a key ethical duty to highlight is the ethical duty required by architects to issues of modern slavery in construction and exercise reasonable skill and care to use supply chains, which are free from modern slavery. So ethical duty to those in the workplace is not only for those in positions of authority, but everyone. And it is a collaborative duty for the benefit of all. So that covers the profession's and industry's duties towards the workplace. Now let's look at their duties towards the profession in more depth. So the duty to the profession encompasses broadly to giving and advancing knowledge through collaboration, sharing research, data, knowledge, and experience, allowing the collective to thrive, and better care for the wider world, safeguarding societies and end users' interests. This duty, however, of knowledge sharing can be limited sometimes, as sharing data can be seen as potentially detrimental to a practice's commercial advantage, also due to client confidentiality, which can restrict the ability to share and publish information, And also due to low fees, uh, research, teaching and knowledge sharing, which are costly tasks to undertake. But these obstacles can be overcome, for example, through discussions with the client and making data available anonymously. Now, in terms of data sharing and research, teaching and knowledge, uh, this is for the practice to make the decision to invest in research, teaching and so on and focus on the long-term cost-benefit to their practice and giving back to their profession. Because such steps help to strengthen the profession, which can result to being able to charge more fees. So practices need to really think about whether investing in sharing data and research um, will benefit them in the long run. In terms of laws and regulations contributing to the architect's duty to the profession... Not much has been produced apart from intellectual property laws and consequences imposed to architects who behave with unprofessional misconduct and break the codes of conduct which provides uh, the public confidence that the profession is upheld and safeguarded if someone acts unprofessionally. So the law surrounding the professional reputation recognises that the reputation of the profession is more important than any individual member and the duty to the profession is a duty towards the collective or greater good. So this is where the codes of professional conduct come in. The ARB's Architects Code gives emphasis under standard nine for architects to maintain the reputation of architects by conducting themselves in a way which doesn't bring the member or the profession into disrepute. Matters that should be notified if a member does act inappropriately include if they have been convicted of a criminal offence, if they are made the subject of a court order, disqualifying them from acting as a company director, or if they have been given a bankruptcy order, debt relief order or bankruptcy restriction order, uh, or if they have been given a director disqualification undertaking or bankruptcy undertaking, uh, if they are a director of a company which is wound up or placed in administration, Uh, or if they make an accommodation with creditors, or if they fail to pay a judgment debt. Then, under the RIBA Code of Professional Conduct and Code of Practice, uh, under Principle 1, it expects members to be honest, truthful, not offer bribes and not accept bribes, and not be prosecuted of a criminal conviction. Then, under Principle 3, members are expected to respect and follow copyright laws and intellectual property, And under principle two, to promote and support the value and benefits of monitoring and reporting on how a building operates and performs. So, essentially, expecting architects to uphold their duty to share knowledge, respect previous appointments and not damage another architect's reputation, be open and transparent about appointments, fairly appraise uh, another architect's work, and report possible breaches and wrongdoing. So, as mentioned, By members following and upholding the ARB and RIBA codes of conduct, provides the public with trust and confidence in the profession. And that's why architects are required to undertake continuing professional development, uh, also known as CPD, with specific compliance requirements, keeping themselves up to date and developing their knowledge and expertise. Now, expanding on some of the duties mentioned earlier, specifically with the architects respecting previous appointments, meaning they don't approach clients who have already engaged another architect, asking questions about previous appointments when taking on a project halfway through the process. Also, they should contact and inform previously appointed architects about the new appointment and confirming that the client's previous engagements have been properly terminated. So architects need to be able to trust their colleagues and not worry about another architect trying to poach their client or their fees being unfairly undercut. So that's why this duty is key for the profession as a whole. Then we have the copyright duty, requiring professionals to respect and adhere to the laws of copyright infringement. So some examples of ethical breach include passing off another's design uh, as their own, taking the credit where it is not due, and failing to give credit where it is due. So to maintain the reputation of the profession can also be addressed through knowledge and development, such as teaching and learning, and the profession's duty to pass on knowledge to others, such as emerging architects, for example, through teaching in schools of architecture, or through webinars, workshops, and so on. Architectural charities and foundations also assist with this duty uh, to collectively honour the duty to the profession, such as what's known as the Challenging Practice, which is an independent learning programme that seeks to enable built environment practitioners to engage reflexively with the challenges of inclusive and sustainable urban development. So similarly, conducting and sharing research is also crucial to the profession's success and growth. Commercial interests and the advantage of individuals and practices can be seen as barriers of research sharing. Undertaking more post-occupancy evaluations should be more widely utilised and shared throughout the profession to improve the built environment as well as pan-professional collaboration with other built environment professions, which leads to more learning opportunities and better outcomes, which in return enhances public trust and confidence again in the profession. Then under equity, diversity and inclusion, which is also a very important duty to the profession, uh, we'll need to provide access to the profession as a whole from all backgrounds, which currently the profession seems to unfortunately lack. Every member of the profession can work with the institutes and schools to try and tackle these barriers and promote more people from a diverse background to enter the profession by speaking to schools, mentoring or through career sharing stories. So essentially the most common ethical issues arising in the context of the duty to the profession are that it's perceived a weakening commercial advantage and it's also perceived as costly and distracting from free in work. So the architect profession must therefore respond with more transparency in delivering their duty to the profession and demonstrating how the duty is balanced with the other ethical imperatives, including the duty to society. So the ethical duty to the profession is a shared, mutual duty for the benefit of all within the profession. So that covers the profession's and industry's duties towards the profession. Now let's look at the final duty towards oneself. So the duty to oneself is a very important, but often a forgotten duty. A career in architecture, as we all know, is not an easy one. And you go through a lengthy process of actually becoming an architect. That's why it's key to value oneself and find ways to keep um, their careers developing. Uh, Also interesting, fulfilling and meaningful, as well as balanced with their personal needs. So, similarly with the previous duty to their profession, the duties which an architect must uphold is through the Architects Act 1997. So, the ARB sets out the Architects Code for all architects to follow. Failing to meet those standards is in itself considered as unacceptable professional conduct, but the Professional Conduct Committee may find the architect guilty upon investigation. So architects should therefore keep themselves regularly updated on the types of breaches which occur within the profession to ensure they are aware of the risks and how to conduct themselves appropriately. So apart from the Architects Code, Chartered Architects will also be held accountable under the RIBA Code of Professional Conduct. Both codes of conduct make provisions on how a professional conducts themselves Uh, the key one being honesty and integrity within the ARB code, urging architects to avoid any situations which are inconsistent with their professional obligations. Uh, Some situations, architects would also be held accountable for uh, breaching professional codes through actions outside their professional lives. So if an architect is convicted of a criminal offence, they must be reported to the ARB, who will consider whether it affects their fitness to practice as an architect. Uh, And a similar process is also carried out by the RIBA. So under the RIBA Code of Professional Conduct, it sets out provisions towards the duty to oneself in demonstrating competence through uh, lifelong learning, research, training, and so on. And again, this can be undertaken through continuing professional development, enabling architects to keep developing skills and remain up to date with current legislation and policy. So as you know, the RIBA expects members to carry out a minimum of 35 hours per year, obtaining at least uh, 20 of these 35 hours from the 10 mandatory RIBA core curriculum CPD, uh, which includes architectural for social purpose, uh, health, safety and well-being, business, clients and services, uh, legal, regulatory and statutory compliance, procurement and contracts, sustainable architecture, inclusive environments, places, planning and communities, building, conservation and heritage and design, construction and technology. So CPD choices are entirely flexible and personal and can be chosen uh, to meet the architect's specific needs. Uh, CPD can also either be structured or informal and reflect the statutory and regulatory rules. Now, another important aspect of the duty to oneself is ensuring they protect their own health and well-being, ensuring they are mentally and physically fit. So some actions that can be taken by architects to protect their health and well-being include considering the office culture and overtime looking at support systems and staff education, creating a more open culture for staff to feel comfortable. Also, offering care for students in practice, such as study leave, uh, providing good contracts and client relationship management, considering the physical office environment, such as the office setup to be comfortable for all staff. Also, technology considerations, such as software training, general monitoring of staff well-being, And championing an active, mindful approach by promoting staff to actually take their lunches, for example, or explore active commuting, or for staff to get up and move throughout the day. So there are a number of support networks that architects can reach out to, uh, to discuss any concerns on mental health, such as the United Voices of the World section of Architectural Workers, which is a trade union for architectural workers in the UK, taking action against the negative impacts of architectural work on workers. There's also the Architects Benevolent Society, which is a charity offering support to architectural uh, staff and their families. Uh, we also have the Architects Mental Wellbeing Forum, seeking to improve mental health within architecture. Another is the Architects Climate Action Network, Uh, taking action to confront the crises of the climate and ecology. There's also the Black Females in Architecture, founded to increase the visibility of Black and Black mixed heritage women within the architectural industry and other built environment fields, addressing the issues of inequality and diversity within the industry. Another is the Low Energy Transformation Initiative, which is uh, LETI, working towards a path to a zero-carbon future. Uh, There's also the Paradigm Network, which is a professional network for construction industry professionals who are passionate about increasing Black and Asian representation within the built environment. And um, there's also many more uh, if you want to find out uh, about them. So the key principles to meet the duty to oneself is through accountability to oneself and to others, following the principle that we treat the other as we would want to be treated ourselves. Another is positionality, whereby architects should understand their unique position in any situation, if they are to use their influence with due care and respect for others. Uh, Also, reflexivity is also important to consider, which is the reflection on one's motives to better understand how a particular view has been reached. And lastly, relationally which considers the recognition that none of us exist in isolation and that we are all connected to those around us. So to conclude, key ways to spot ethical issues or concerns is when a problem raises moral questions, Um, if it's not considered by law but is still hard to decide on, if it raises issues potentially against any code of ethics, uh, the architect or practice follows, and also if it makes you think about your duties and responsibilities. Therefore, it's best when presented with a challenging situations to pause and reassess and reflect on the possible consequences and ethical issues anticipated, as well as your core values. So core values of a practice or an architect are a foundational tool for tackling the ethical dilemmas in practice and should be centered around honesty, integrity, awareness, competence, care, fairness, objectivity, and being critical and inquisitive. So to sum up what I discussed today, a duty towards those in the workplace means showing respect to those in the immediate and wider workplace, including their backgrounds and views, encouraging equity, diversity and inclusion, adopting good employment practices, providing training and learning opportunities uh, for staff, promoting a healthy uh, work environment and company culture, uh, promoting collaboration and protecting whistleblowing. Uh, Then we have the duty towards the profession, meaning maintaining the reputation and value of the profession, promoting high standards, contributing to knowledge through research and innovation and reporting misconduct and the duty to oneself, uh, whereby architects identify their principles and values acting with integrity, truthfulness, and accountability at all times, looking after their own well-being and mental health, evaluating and reflecting on themselves, and maintaining competence. And also remembering that the future of the profession depends on architects being more involved and making better decisions that bring more long-term value to their clients, including through properly considering and respecting all six ethical duties. So that's what I wanted to cover today in terms of the other three ethical um, duties that we are expected to uphold as a profession. And as always, I like to provide you guys with a scenario just to put what I just went through into context. So today's scenario is that you, an architect and practice manager, are concerned by the number of employees working from home on a full-time basis, as some deadlines have recently been missed. So you think that working in an office environment is better for productivity and would like to change the practice's policy to require staff to come to the office at least three days a week from 9 a.m. to 6 p.m. But you do know that not all staff will be happy with this, but think it's necessary in order to ensure deadlines are met uh, to deliver on various client contracts. So you have a few options you could consider which include firstly persuading the other senior staff to agree to change the policy immediately. Uh, The second option is not changing the policy as it will upset the staff. Or thirdly, you could consult staff and ask for their views on the policy. So you should then go forward with assessing the value and reputation of a practice and that it lies in its knowledge and experience. The side of that knowledge and experience is to a large extent due to the staff. So persuading senior staff to change a policy immediately is a possible and viable option for urgent matters where practice leaders need to be able to respond quickly and be trusted to act in the best interest of the practice and all those in the workplace. But in this instance, it might not be the best approach. Uh, It is important to look to the longer term. So discontented staff might lead to poor staff retention and a consequent loss of value and reputation for the practice if um, you go ahead and implement the policy immediately. Also, there is significant value and reputation in the strength and consistency of a practice's leadership. Also, staff retention and performance often depends on trust and loyalty as well as job satisfaction. But trust must also be earned through good performance and the success of a practice depends on successful delivery as well as staff retention. So depending to an extent on the practice's structure, there is much value in a transparent and consultative approach where people feel they have a voice. So probably the third option is the most appropriate option in this scenario. So consulting with staff and seeking their views is the most fair, transparent and proportionate approach. However, there is sometimes some issues that it might not be suitable for consultation, particularly in some practice structures where staff may not have sufficient knowledge and information about uh, particular issues to make an informed contribution. But also leaving the policy untouched is a possible option in the right context. It might not be the right time to make policy changes, for example, uh, if the staff morale is low at that time, or a more formal and structured policy review is due to take place in the near future. So the disruption caused by too much change may outweigh the potential benefits intended by the policy amendment. So probably the best approach in this scenario would be to consult with staff, try and provide them with all the information that will help them make an informed decision, And also consult senior staff and then uh, proceed with the best steps forward from there. And that covers all parts of the ethical um, guide for for the architect's duties uh, in terms of the wider world, uh, society, the client, the workplace, the profession and oneself. Uh, And that concludes today's episode. If you would like to get in contact with me, please feel free to email me on the address provided in the show notes. Thank you for listening. This is an educational show aimed at supporting the future generation of architects. The information, opinions and recommendations presented in this podcast are for general information only. And any reliance on the information provided in this podcast is done at your own risk. Please join me next week for some more part three with me, time.